Ah, the fullness of time. It's on our minds, I suppose. It is December 31st, after all. And we think back on the year that was 2023. The fullness of time. The fullness of that year of 2023 is on our minds, and we at times on these days take at least a few moments to review, to look back, the good, the bad, the ugly. And then we come to church and snuggle in for our long sermon nap, right? And we prepare for some barely relevant introduction and segue from God's word and to talk about the new year. I'll probably reference something about diets as if I'm the authority on that, (laughs) right? Perhaps working out, again, not the authority. Resolutions tried and failed, and maybe give you a couple pointers for keys to success. Pump you up for 2024. I'm going to avoid doing that. But the Old Testament reading today does have some anticipatory, looking ahead to this new time feel to it. It describes what the new time will be like. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. So it kind of says what the current time is like. It's kind of like a stump. But out comes the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And there will be fruit born from that little shoot. And that little shoot will turn into and be a really, really good ruler. The best king that's ever come from the line of David. And whatever you know, kind of ruler he is, and whatever branch of government you wish to refer to as an American citizen, well, legislatively, his laws will be just. Judiciously, he will decide disputes properly. And administratively, executively, he will administer justice, and he will punish the evildoer perfectly. He's a good king. So, that's anticipatory. And it almost seems like we're back in the season of Lent. Still praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, by golly, that's how it will be until that king does return. And we do anticipate, and we do look ahead, and we do continue to pray that prayer here in the waning hours of 2023 and what the Lord will give us of 2024 and beyond. But the epistle has us looking backwards. It's the call to look back. Look back on both the good and the bad. First up, the bad. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Look back on your slavery. Slavery? We're children of God. We've never been enslaved to anyone, have we? Well... According to Galatians 4, 
When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, what is that? In one sense, we can say, okay, the worldly stuff, the bad stuff, we get that. We're in church, right? We go to Ephesians chapter 6 and we read, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Oh, the bad stuff that's out there, right? And then we can even go a little later, just a verse later than our epistle reading. Galatians 4.9 How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? But the strange thing is, I think the obvious thing is that there's evil. There's sin. There's that decay inside of our hearts as well. A calcification of old Adam's doing. But it's not just simply run through the Ten Commandments and see what's base, immoral, the hatred, the adultery, the lies, and the slander, and the covetousness. Yes, slaves to sin is not a good situation to be in. But when the epistle reading in verse 9 goes forward, you know, after, a little bit after, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It doesn't go on a laundry list of evils of the flesh. Instead, he says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. What's wrong with that? It's Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Isn't this a day, a month, a season, a year? What's, wrong? Ah, what's going on here? You see, it's the desire to justify yourself by observing those days, those months, those seasons, those years. That's the elementary principles of this world as defined by the text itself, just in verses 9 and 10 that weren't given to you today. Now that just seems a lot more harmless than when we talk about the nasty stuff of this world, the evils. But St. Paul says at the end of that, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. You see, slavery doesn't come just to the base impulses of the flesh and the belly and our desires. Our slavery comes strangely to the flesh's desire to be justified by the law. In Galatians 3, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse of law. No, Galatians 3 comes before Galatians 4. The light's on, pay attention, okay? <laughs> That's the profound insight today. But it's building up to this statement in Galatians 4 that you're reading today. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. It goes on. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise, etc. Is the law contradictory then to the promises of God? Why is the law there? The law was our guardian, it says. Well, 
Hold on a second. Where's that? There it is. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The law justifies no one. Yet, strangely, we kind of go back to that sort of slavery mindset and thinking. We'll get ourselves out of this mess. We'll do what's right. We don't see the law's purpose as that which is described in Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Bingo. There you have it. Through the law, knowledge of sin. So what's the, what's the slavery to? Sins of the flesh, base, immoral, gross things? We dare not mention? Or the law? Yes. Right? Sin is there. Those base, immoral, fleshly lusts, those things that come from Adam on down right into our beating hearts and minds and souls, yes, and that wicked theology that says, you know what? Go for it. But God takes that wicked theology and he says, hold on a second. Have some more of it. Go for it. Have my law and have my law to the full. I will reveal the true law to you so that you don't just sit here and say, I'm enslaved to all this base and moral stuff, but you say, I'm enslaved to this and I know it. And what help do I have of buying myself out of this mess? And then you realize you're in quite the pickle. You can't do the right thing to get out of the mess. You keep doing the wrong thing that is the mess. My goodness. There are sins. The law has shown us that. And yet, the promise of the Savior given and repeated in Isaiah is there too. And yet, we need the laws of the guardian to point out our sins, our self-reliance, our need for the one that Isaiah was speaking of. And so on this New Year's morning, Eve, whatever we want to call it, right? We need another reword besides resolutions, resolutions. We need the word repent. Repent. Look back on 2023. Look deep in your own hearts. See the sin that is there. See the base immoral things that are there in your thoughts, words, and deeds. And see your slavery. Lament your slavery. The epistle has us looking back also, though, not on the bad, but on the good. The good things that God has made known to us. In Galatians 4.8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. The time had come, you see, to redeem those who were enslaved. The fullness of time, the fullness of time, 
isn't about a calendar flip from December 31 to January 1. The fullness of time is when the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, sent forth His only begotten Son, eternally God of God, light of light, very God of very God, yet born of woman, born under the law, to redeem the enslaved ones, you and me, to redeem those who were under the law and its curse. Listen again. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then, a little bit later in verse 21 of Galatians 3, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If you could do it, if you could justify yourself, go for it and get it done. What's wrong with you? No more excuses. Get it done. Right? But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Everything. It's all made captive. Seems so mean of God, doesn't it? But in actuality, what? Hey, there's no way out except the one way. Come and follow. Right? But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Let everything be under sin. Let everything be under the curse of the law so that everything can be redeemed from the curse of the law by Jesus Christ. He was the cursed one who hung on the tree. And so it's not through law. It's not that way at all. But it's God-given work trust in Jesus Christ that has changed us, that has freed us from slavery and made us sons. And if sons, then heirs. Jesus has set us free. Not to live some life of libertine hedonism. No. He has set us free not so that, okay, you can do it now. Let's get going. Happy 2024. And then slide back into diets and nonsense talk and drivel. He has set us free from this notion of justifying ourselves by the law. He has set us free because my sinful flesh wants captivity to sin and death and hell. It wants to run back to observing those months, days, seasons, years, and all of that stuff and pat myself on the back because I'm better than them. No. He set me free from that nonsense. He set me free to realize what a terrible, miserable sinner I am and what free and beautiful good news He gives the likes of me. He has sent His Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we would not cry out, 
curse you, God, you mean, evil God. No, I don't like you because of all the bad stuff that happens down here. No, he has sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts that we would say, Abba, Father, dear Father, hear me. Hear me as I lament my sin. Hear me as I lament the fallenness of this creation, the slavery and the brokenness that we see. But hear me also as I look to you for your aid and trust in you for your salvation. I'm not a slave anymore. And we're freed from all of that. I'm an heir of all of your promises. Simeon understood that as he took Christ into his hands. Master, now you set your slave free. And we sing with Simeon after we receive our Lord Jesus Christ. The inheritance given for you and for me. As we receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. As we receive his body and blood. Taken up, possibly into our hands, but certainly into our mouths. As he commanded, take eat, take drink. And oh, the inheritance you receive today as a true child of God. Maybe instead of focusing on the calendar flip, the new year, the new you, or trying to shove in a New Year's message into these texts, we simply stop, pause, and marvel at our King's rule. How merciful and gracious He is. We see God working in history in the fullness of time and filling ourselves up with forgiveness. He fills us with His Word and His work and He does this and He doles out His inheritance over and over again to you so that you and I, like Simeon today, would depart in peace. Today, and at the last. Amen.